Children four years old through the fifth grade can head on to Children's Church. And the rest of you invite to uh, take a Bible and open to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, you should see one in the rack in front of you or close to you. And we would love for you to take that and make it yours. Put your name in it, take it home and read it. We have just begun a new series entitled Trustworthy, Why Truth Matters. And there's a reason it's called that, as you might guess. It's because of this very tight connection between truth and trust or faith, trust and faith. It is impossible to live life. It is impossible to just go through your day without exercising trust, without living by faith. Even the most hard-boiled skeptics live by faith every single day. You, you just can't live without it. Because every day, you and I put our trust in countless things that we simply assume are reliable. We assume that they're true, that, we have, that, that what we've been told about this thing or, or what we've heard or that, that what we've been told is the truth. And because we assume it's true, we put our trust in it. Believing in truth is as practical as driving across a bridge. You, why do you do that? Why don't you stop every time you come to a bridge and get out and look and check it out? Why don't you do that? Well, because people will run you over if you do, but because you don't feel the need to do that. You simply assume that what you've been told by the highway department, by whoever built the bridge, whoever maintains the bridge, and so on, that it will bear your weight. You assume that to be true, and so you drive right across. We do that all the time with all kinds of things. And last time, we saw that Jesus, no less than Jesus, confirmed that there really is such a thing as truth. But Jesus is in the minority. And if you believe him, if you trust him, you are also in the minority. The majority opinion about truth goes something like this. Well, there's that which is true for me, but what's true for me may not necessarily be true for you, or necessarily true for anybody else. All truth is relative. It's the view called relativism. And it's all relative, it all depends. There really isn't anything that you can count on, that you can rely on to be true all the time. Now that may all sound very philosophical, but here's the question. Does it even matter? Okay, Jesus says there's such a thing as truth. A lot of other people say, no, there isn't such a thing as truth. Does that really make a difference? Or is that just, you know, something that philosophers talk about as they smoke on their pipes or whatever they do? Does it have anything to do with real life? 
And I want to look at a passage today that answers that question, I believe, pretty, pretty decisively. And it's in the book of Philippians, and it's in chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 9. Now, to be clear, this is not an essay in philosophy, for which many of you, I'm sure, are quite thankful. Okay, this was not an assignment that Paul got in a freshman philosophy class, and somebody said, I want you to write a paper, Does Truth Matter? That's not what this is. This is part of a personal letter written by the Apostle Paul to some people, to a church in a place called Philippi, and he loves these people very much. And he's writing to them from prison to let them know how he's doing and how much he wants to see them again, and above all, to know that Jesus is his whole reason for living. So these, these are not the abstract meditations of some out-of-touch scholar. This is a man who has reason to know what really matters in life. And he wants his readers to know as well because he wants them to be able to live their lives with purpose and joy. So near the end of his letter, he says these words. This is Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. There are some profound reasons here why truth matters and we're going to start with the last one first because it is the most important truth matters because god is real god is real now paul here is talking about living your life in such a way that the god of peace will be with you and he talks about it as if that really matters. As if experiencing the God of peace being with you is something you would really want. And so right away, immediately we can see that this is totally out of sync with our culture. Totally out of sync with our culture. We live in a culture, you and I do, in which God is considered completely optional for living a meaningful, good life. And so the idea goes something like this. Well, you know, if, if, if believing in God, if believing that He exists, if that helps you, you know, if that enables you to cope with difficult things like the pandemic or a funeral or something, well, that's fine. And if you go to church occasionally, that's all right. But, but, don't get carried away with this God thing or you're going to become a real troublemaker you are going to become a threat to other people's freedom. Paul, apparently, never got that memo. 
because that is not his point of view at all. Paul believes that having the God of peace be with you is the best thing that could ever happen to you. Because peace, peace is something we all need, we all long for. And we're not talking here about merely the absence of war, you know, like some ceasefire in the Middle East that never lasts and never really solves the problem. When the Bible speaks of peace, it is speaking of wholeness, of harmony, health, prosperity, contentment. My favorite definition, shalom, this is from Dr. Ron Allen, who used to teach at Western Seminary. Shalom is everything as it ought to be. And don't we long for that? I do. We long for everything to be as it ought to be. And it's actually very interesting that pretty much everybody realizes things are not as they ought to be. Something's wrong. There's not peace. And what this is telling us is that's because peace, that kind of peace, only comes from God. God is the source. And the reason there is so little peace in our world is that so much of our world is disconnected from God. But this is telling us that there is a way. There is a way for us to experience peace, and that's when the God of peace is with us. With us. Now I want you to see. Can you see here how Paul is holding that up as the goal of what he's talking about here in verses 8 and 9? That's, his, that's the end goal. That's the thing that he wants us to experience. And so he's talking about thinking and living in such a way that that's where we arrive. We arrive at that experience of the God of peace being with us. Now some of you by this time are going, but Pastor Scott, you said that this passage was about truth. You said that this series was about truth, and you're up there talking about peace. What's that got to do with truth and why truth matters? It's got everything to do with it because truth is how we get to peace. That's the objective. So I'm starting with the end goal, the final goal, the God of peace being with us. That's the objective. That's what Paul wants us to pursue. The question is, how do we get there? What's the path? Well, now we've got to back up. And we've got to see what leads to this. And it's because this matters. Okay? The God of peace being with us. It's because that matters. Because God is real. Because we need His presence in our lives. That's why truth matters and ultimately it's the only reason truth matters it really is because if God is not real there is no truth and ultimately nothing matters now that may sound like a total overstatement <clears throat> um, I'm actually going to be talking about issues like that 
responses to uh, atheism and, and this idea that there is no God. I'm going to be talking about that in a class that's coming up beginning in November. So if you know, you're interested in pursuing that, uh, you might want to consider that class. But if God does not exist, then truth is of no concern whatsoever because nothing ultimately matters. And yet people are trying to have it both ways. People want to believe that God doesn't exist, that they're not accountable to Him, God is irrelevant, and yet at the same time they want to experience peace, and they want to believe that their lives truly matter, which is understandable. Who wants to believe that their life is meaningless? Nobody. And see, this is why relativism, mentioned it earlier, we... we, uh, Started talking about it last time. This idea that there is no truth that is always true, it has a fatal flaw. Because the only way truth cannot exist is if God doesn't exist. And if God doesn't exist, then nothing matters. Because there's no purpose to anything. The universe is just an unplanned, unintended undirected collection of molecules that's it it's just here and you and i are just here nothing means anything in the ultimate sense but i don't know that anybody actually lives this way as if nothing has any meaning as rick warren has said pastor rick warren nobody's a relativist when you punch him in the nose yeah, they can say, they can claim all day long, oh, there's no, such th- you know, there's no such thing as right and wrong. There are no absolutes of right and wrong. But if you punch him in the nose, he's going to start believing in right and wrong in a hurry. Or you could play Scrabble with him. <laughs> Try playing Scrabble with a relativist and just make up a word. Like Sniffelfritzer. And he's going to say, no way, that's not a word. And you say, it's a word to me. I have my truth, you have your truth, and my truth says Snufflefritzer is a word. See, everybody, when it comes to actually living, everybody lives as if there are some things that are always true, even if they try hard to deny it. So here's something you can try. (laughs) If ever you're around somebody who says, there's no such thing as truth, try asking, is that the truth? What you just said, is it really the truth that there's no such thing as truth? See, it doesn't make any sense because it contradicts itself. It's just a word game. But it seems like everybody's playing it these days. The problem is it's not a game. It's not a game. This idea, this relativism, there's no such thing as truth. That idea is everywhere and the consequences are are huge it's not a game we are close to becoming a culture a society that can no longer say that anything is actually wrong there was a situation about 20 years ago there was a guy in germany who posted an ad on the internet and i am not making this up he posted an ad on the internet looking for a young man who wants to be 
eaten. And you think, man, that's sick. What's even sicker is somebody answered the ad. And when this case went to trial, some people were actually asking, well, how can we call what this man did a crime? Because he, he cannibalized somebody who wanted to be eaten. Who's to say that consensual cannibalism is wrong? And here's what one physician wrote. Okay, this is, this is an MD. This is a medical doctor with more education than most of us. And he said this. This is a quote. These two men were consenting adults. By what right, therefore, has the state interfered in their slightly odd relationship? What? One human being killing and eating another human being is a slightly odd relationship? It's not slightly odd. It's wrong. It's wrong. And obviously that's an extreme case. But the point is, if a society rejects the existence of truth, it loses the ability to say that anything is truly wrong. Because what's wrong for you is not necessarily wrong for me. We all have our own ideas about right and wrong. Nothing is truly, ultimately right and wrong. If there's no truth, then ultimately anything goes. And you can, you can just delude yourself otherwise, but you're just pretending. It's just play acting. But according to Jesus... There is such a thing as truth. Truth does exist and truth does matter because God is real. He's real and in spite of how crazy and how broken this, in spite of how broken you and I are, there can be wholeness. There can be contentment. There can be peace because the God of peace is real. And you and I can experience His presence in our lives. How? Well, let's go back to Philippians 4. Now we need to back up one step. Truth matters. Truth matters because God is real. And truth matters because how we live matters. How we live matters. So verse 9, again... Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Look at the connection. Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Well, put what into practice? Well, he says, whatever you learned from me, whatever you received from me, whatever you heard or saw in me. In other words, he's saying, my example. Put into practice my example. How I lived. <laughs> and that might sound really arrogant. You think, wow, man, this guy's really being arrogant here. I mean, he's, he's like going, hey, everybody, you want to live a great life? Then be just like me. Live just like me because I'm so wonderful. But th that's not what he's saying. 
It's not what he's saying. That's not what he means. When he says, follow my example, the example he's talking about is his example of reliance, of complete reliance on Jesus Christ. And see, that's the opposite of boasting in your own merit. It's putting your confidence in the merit of someone else. Let me give you an example. So let's say there's somebody out in, swimming in the ocean, and all of a sudden they're, they're, they're tired, they're, they're going down, they're not going to make it. They can't get back to shore. And so with their last breath, they yell, help. And the lifeguard jumps into the water, swims out there, grabs that guy, brings him back to shore, you know, and he lives, he survives. And then he tells you later, he says, you know, he's given a speech. Hey, man, if you're ever out in the ocean and you can't make it, you know you can't survive, call the lifeguard. That's the example to follow. See, he's not boasting of his ability. He's boasting of the lifeguard's ability and saying, put your confidence in him. That's what this is like. So turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, and you can see it here. Philippians 3, 7 through 9. Paul says, whatever gain I had. Now, you have to know from the context, what he means by gain is everything he had achieved as a very religious, scrupulous, obedient guy to the law of God, the Torah. He says, whatever gain I had achieved there, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Not going to trust in my merit, going to trust in his. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, look at this, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Not having a righteousness that comes from my scrupulous law-keeping but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, not from me, from God, that depends on faith. So the righteousness that Paul has, whatever is right in his life, it comes from God. It comes outside of himself. It's a gift from God. And the channel is faith in Jesus. See what he's talking about? He's talking about relying on Christ, not on himself. And it's this. It's this lifestyle of relying on Jesus. That's what he means when he says, put into practice what you've seen in my life. And when you live that way, when you live a life, when you practice a lifestyle of utter reliance on Jesus, Following his directions. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Follow his directions because you trust him. Not because you're trying to impress him, but because you trust him. Then the God of peace will be with you, he says. Now, we need to pause here a second and raise an important question. Because you might be thinking, hold on. Are you saying that God is not with us? When we're not living like we should? I mean, are you saying our relationship with God, having God be with us, depends on our flawless performance, you know, perfect reliance on Jesus at all times? Because if it does, we're in trouble. 
is this saying, you know, and, and think about all those verses. We talk about them all the time. The verses that say that salvation is a free gift of God's grace. I just said that. It's the righteousness from God that comes through faith. And what do you do with a promise like Hebrews 13.5, which says, God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Sounds like God's promising to be with us no matter what. So which is it? Is he with us no matter what? Is he only with us when we are relying on Jesus the way we should? Okay, the thing we need to know is that the Bible talks about God being with us, being with believers in Jesus in more than one sense. So, for example, Romans 8, 9. This is speaking to believers in Jesus, people who have put their trust in Him, received His righteousness, and it says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, and by the way, just notice there, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are the one and the same Spirit. It's one of those little verses that proclaim the Trinity. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So there's no belonging to Jesus. There's no being a believer in Jesus without being indwelt by the Spirit of God. That's one of the marks of being a genuine believer in Jesus. You've got the Spirit. If a Christian's faith is real, then God is with them. Okay, but then you've got a verse like Revelation 21.3. This is looking ahead to when Jesus returns, as He promised, and making everything new. And it says this about those very same believers in Jesus who are indwelt with the Spirit of God. It says, God Himself will be with them and be their God. Well, that's a future promise. That's not now. But see, it doesn't mean God isn't with Christians today. It means that one day, one day we are going to experience His presence in a far deeper, far greater way. And that's like the point of Philippians 4.9. It's not that Jesus, that God isn't with us when we stumble, when we fail to live as we should. No, it's that when we do live like we should, when we rely on Jesus, when we follow His directions, and boy, please get it, we need to get this in our head, that that's relying on Jesus means following His instructions. It's just too easy for people to say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I just don't do anything Jesus says. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. So when we do live like we should, when we rely on Jesus, follow His directions, then we experience His peace and His presence in a deeper way. So, truth really matters because how we live matters. That brings us one more step to back up, truth matters because how we think matters. How we think matters. So go back to verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
Think about such things. Think about such things. Living the truth requires thinking the truth. And it's not automatic. It's not automatic. It doesn't just happen. You have to be intentional. You have to plan to do it. You have to make the effort to do it. But it's so important. And it's important. It really matters because here's the deal. What you put in your mind eventually comes out in your life. It really does. At the root of wrong living is always wrong thinking. Always. I mean, if I catch myself just not being in sync with God on something, what I'm doing, somewhere at some point, I'm believing something that is not true. And I need to figure out what that is. If you want to change the way you live, you have to change the way you think. That's what Romans 12.2 says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How many of you want to be transformed? I know I do. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. If you want your life to be transformed, you have to work at renewing your mind. Living the truth requires thinking the truth. Every day, every day, we make choices about what we put in our minds. I mean, we might not think we're making a choice because, you know, we're just being bombarded with ideas. But if we just passively let those things in, we're making a choice to passively let those things in. So TV shows, social media, YouTube videos, various websites, video games, movies. Okay, now here's the question we all need to ask ourselves. How much of what you're putting in your mind is true? How much of it is noble? How much of it is right? How much is pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy? See, if we're not careful, it's so easy to spend our days thinking about whatever is foolish, whatever is scandalous, whatever is fake, whatever is pornographic, whatever is ugly, whatever gets the most likes. Now, I've had people say to me, oh, you know, that stuff I watch, it doesn't matter. It's just entertainment. That is so not true. It is so not true because if it influences how I think, and all of those things do, then it matters. Because God's presence in my life matters. Experiencing His peace in the midst of my brokenness matters. If I'm not experiencing that, I need to stop and say, okay, what, how am I living? Am I living out the truth? Am I living out a lifestyle of relying on Jesus Christ? And if not, then I need to stop and say, Okay, well, what am I thinking about? How am I thinking? What am I filling my mind with? What am I dwelling on? What am I preoccupied with? Where does my mind go when it slips into neutral? Is my first thought when I wake up, grab that phone, see what's happening. 
How much time do you spend with God's truth? How much time do you spend with God's truth compared to how much time you spend with social media or television or video games or the internet? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be aware of what's going on in our world. We should be. This is not a call to be ignorant. This is not a call to just deny reality, think happy thoughts. That's not the point. No, this is a call to get preoccupied with ultimate reality that doesn't feel like ultimate reality because we're caught up in this dream world. If we don't know God's truth, and I think you would all agree with me that it takes effort to know God's truth. I wish I could just put this under my pillow and the truth just seeps into my head. That's not how it works. It takes time. It takes effort. But if we don't know it, we'll never be able to make sense of this world and we will not experience peace. Now, those of you who are parents, you have a massive challenge. Massive your children are growing up in a world that is lying to them every day. And it is telling them constantly to look within themselves to discover and decide what's true for them. You have to teach them that ultimate truth comes from outside of them. It comes from the God who made them and who loves them. The world does not love them. God loves them. God determines their identity. And for them to embrace that and believe that is the path to ultimate joy. So you've got to help them. Don't think that an hour or two on Sunday is going to do the job because it won't. You've got to take responsibility to know what ideas they are consuming throughout the week. So if your kids have smartphones, well, I strongly encourage you to reconsider that. That's another message. But you have to realize that ideas are coming constantly at them. You've got to be aware of what ideas they're consuming without even knowing they are. And then you have to lovingly, well, you've got to put some boundaries on things, and then you've got to lovingly teach them God's truth and why they can trust it and why it's good for them. It's not just about being right. It's about what's beautiful. It's about what leads to life and joy. They need to know they can trust it in spite of what our culture is telling them. Truth matters because thinking the truth matters and thinking the truth matters because thinking leads to living and living leads to experience, experiencing the presence of God, the God of peace in our lives. And that matters more than anything. You know, how do we do this? Well, it begins with one step I haven't yet talked about. The first step is wanting the God of peace to be with you. 
That's where it begins. You've got to want the God of peace to be with you enough to make the effort to think the truth and live the truth because it's hard. It's hard to swim upstream. Any dead fish can float downstream. But swimming upstream is tough. And so you've got to want this enough to go after it, to make the effort to think the truth and live the truth. And that's why we're going to pray right now. Because we need God to stir our hearts and give us a longing for His presence that overwhelms and overshadows our weakness and our saying, ah, this is just too hard, I can't do it. Can I take these children back? I don't have the strength to raise them. No, you can't. And God gave them to you. And God will equip you and God will use you. But you've got to rely on Jesus. So the first thing you do is go, I, I can't do it. Good. Good thinking. Go to Him. And tell Him that. Say, God, help me. And all of us, we've got a plan. We've got to take action. We've got to build into our lives things that will help us think the truth and live the truth. The world is not going to help us here. The world is not going to encourage us to learn the truth, teach the truth, live the truth. So that's why we have things like, you know, these Bible Explorer classes, second hour. That's why we have small groups. Because we've got to get into God's truth together and we've got to encourage each other with this. Because there's going to be weeks when we just get completely beat up. And we've got to encourage each other and say, hey, it's worth it, come on, keep on, keep on. We need friendships that encourage us to think the truth and live the truth Every day, because it really does matter. So I'm going to invite you to bow with me, and we're going to pray, and I'll be quiet for a minute, and let you just pray whatever you need to pray. Call on the name of the Lord and say, help. It's one of the shortest prayers in the Bible. When Peter was going down, he'd walked on the water for a few feet, and then he started sinking, and he said, Lord, save me. That's a great prayer. Maybe that's what you need to pray right now. Lord, save me. I've been trying to live my life independent of you. And yet, you have shown me that Jesus is worthy of my trust. I don't have it all figured out. I don't even know everything that it means. But I want to know him. I want to be saved by him. I want your spirit in my life. And just ask him. And if you know the Lord, you have put your trust in Jesus. If God is stirring up in your heart a renewed commitment to get into his truth and learn his truth and live his truth, then ask him to help you do that. Parents, ask him to help you teach your children. And then get help. There are resources, there are things that will help you. But it starts with wanting to. So I'll, I will now be quiet, give you a moment to pray, and then I will close. Father, we pray that you would make us worthy of your calling and you would fulfill every resolve for good 
and every work of faith by your power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in us and we in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, will you give us the desire and will you help us fulfill the desire to experience your presence like we've looked at this morning so that we might have peace, so that we might share peace with others. Lord, we ask you, we need you to enable us to do this because we cannot do it in our own strength. And so we're so grateful that you have, by your grace, extended your truth to us. Help us receive it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.